Some of you knew what I was doing because of the day of the month. Some of you knew what I was doing when I got this thing out. And some of you maybe still don't know what I'm doing. Um, what we do uh, when there's a fifth Sunday night, uh, instead of a typical sermon, we like to take out our Bibles and devote our minds to, uh, as Paul tells Timothy, devote your, uh, yourself to the public reading of Scripture. We take a bigger chunk of Scripture and we read it together and let God do most of the talking. Our uh, past four uh, reading nights of these have involved reading through the Gospel of Luke. We've broken it down into about three or four chapter chunks. Uh, I have discovered narrative, story is really a, a great way to use this time to uh, get caught up in these expertly crafted narratives of Jesus' life, his work, his teaching. And part of what I'm after in these reading nights, by reading these bigger chunks of Scripture at once, is to, to push us to see the text as more of a unified whole and not just a random collection of stories. In particular, the gospel. There's, there's nothing about this that's random. Uh, but these, these authors, these human authors directed by the Holy Spirit have arranged these things. They've told them artfully. There are motifs and recurring themes that pop up in one story after another. One, two stories are often placed next to each other to give us a, a commentary on each of them and to enlighten something about them. And I just want to try to bring that to life through reading them, um, partly as a remedy to what us preachers sometimes do, which is carve up the text into smaller and smaller bits. We carve it up into a chapter or a paragraph or a verse or even just a word, and we just pluck that out and, and focus on that. Um, but I'm interested in how these all, all these things relate together. So before we jump into it, one thing I've been doing in Luke to help facilitate this kind of bigger picture kind of thinking is to give you a word for each chapter. It sums up a theme, and often that's very easy to do um, because there is genuinely a theme in many of these sections. So we're going to read this evening chapters 16 through 19. So let me give you a word for each of those chapters, and then we'll read. Chapter 16, my word is scandal. Scandal. Uh, this is an interesting chapter. That This one's hard to label, I'll tell you that. Um, but it begins with the parable of the dishonest steward, it's often called. And it's a story that, is, that scandalizes us because its hero, quote-unquote, the person we're supposed to learn from is dishonest. And I think you'll see that we're not to learn from his dishonesty, per se. We're not to learn to be dishonest ourselves. Um, but through this story, Jesus tells us that we can learn from a world that, for all of its problems, the world is often shrewder than we are and has their head screwed on a little straighter than we are and knows how the world works a little better than we do. Some of the implications that he brings out in that story, particularly about money, um, scandalizes the Pharisees who we are told love money, as does Jesus' next little section there, often scandalizes the Pharisees as well, which is his teaching on marriage and divorce. So scandal is my theme of chapter 16. Chapter 17, the word is faith. Faith. The chapter begins with a radical call to forgiveness. He says, if your brother sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And this causes the apostles to cry out in response, Lord, increase our faith. They rightly sense in order to live in this radical Christ-like way, it's going to require a more radical faith than they previously had. To live the way you're telling us to live, Jesus, I don't think we're cut out for that sort of thing. We're going to need more faith than we already have to live your way. The next story of the cleansing of the ten lepers emphasizes the importance of gratitude in the life of faith. 
And then the final teaching in this chapter about the coming of the kingdom emphasizes the watchfulness of the faithful. And so several different aspects of faithfulness to Jesus in that chapter. Chapter 18, the word is inversion. Inversion. Uh, chapter 18 is an easy one to label. The, the theme of that chapter hits you in the face over and over again. Each story told in this chapter upends, inverts the world's expectations about who and what matters. It's turning upside down our expectations, inverting how we thought the world worked. The first story of this chapter commends the widow who has nothing going for her but her persistence. She, this widow, has got nothing going for her. Jesus holds her up as an exemplar of prayer and persistence. And so here is the humble being exalted in the story of Jesus. The next story contrasts the self-righteous Pharisee with the penitent tax collector. And so the Pharisee is the big, important guy who really matters in this world. And the tax collector is the most hated person in that world. And Jesus flips it upside down. And the tax collector is the hero of the story. The Pharisee is not. The next little story commends children as exemplars of the kingdom. The lowest people are put up as the ones we are to learn from. And then the next story does it the other way. Uses the rich young ruler, this impressive young man who's got a lot going for him, and he is an illustration of the downfall of many of the world's well-to-do. And so there is, again, the children who are put up here, and then the wealthy ruler who's put down here, inversion The last story of the chapter involves the healing of the most pitiful man in the city of Jericho, a blind beggar. Again, the humble is exalted. As well, the first story of chapter 19 fits with this same inversion theme. That's the story of Zacchaeus, the hated tax collector who is commended above his quote-unquote more righteous neighbors. Again, inversion, upside-down stuff going on. And then chapter 19, the last part of it at least, my word for chapter 19 is judgment. Judgment. This chapter contains the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem for the final time before his crucifixion. And upon entering Jerusalem, he does two things portending the judgment of the city. He does two things. Number one, he weeps over the city as he considers the fate of this city that has killed, has killed the prophets and is about to kill its greatest prophet. And he mourns and laments as he thinks about the fate that awaits this prophet-killing city And then number two, at the end of this chapter, he cleanses the temple. It's an act of judgment on the religious establishment that has forgotten its God. And so there are two acting out of the fate that's going to befall this city. So, with all of that before us, we're going to read, and I'm going to do so without comment, and just let uh, the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Luke, talk to us. Luke 16 and verse 1. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you could no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He 
said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And this is Jesus' comment on the story. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with with that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a, divorced, uh, who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes And saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in a like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm is fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not do so and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house where I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung round his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 
And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come in at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterwards, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see, the one, see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man in his, be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away, and likewise let the one who was in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they say to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, 
In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? He said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. 
For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. First came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. He said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. I was afraid of you because you are, <clears throat> you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, And give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. 
but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade round you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who, had so, those who sold, saying, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So maybe that's an appropriate place to uh, stop. They're hanging on the words of Jesus, and I'm going to leave you hanging here in Luke 19. But I, I hope you can see, this is an interesting exercise. There's several points of this. I, I, I tell myself I need to go run that down. Think about that a little more. Think about how this connects to this. But overall, we get a picture here of Jesus in his final weeks before his crucifixion, uh, who's making sure that his disciples understand what it is he's about and what it is the citizens of his kingdom ought to be like. And so we never like to end without offering an invitation as we have encountered uh, Jesus who died for us, who's getting ready to die in this text. We meet the Lord and King who entered Jerusalem on that call, who is announced to be king, and he is. We treat him as king. We submit to him. We do that in our baptism. We do that in our lives. We submit to King Jesus. Maybe someone needs to come and to repent and to serve this king. Whatever your spiritual need, come forward now as we stand and sing. Have thine affections been nailed to the cross? Is thy heart right with God? Does thou count all things for Jesus but lost? Is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God? Washed in the crimson flood.
raised and made holy, humble and lowly, right in the sight of God. Are all thy powers under Jesus' control? Is thy heart right with God? Does each moment abide in thy soul? Is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God? Washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right in the sight of God. Please be seated. 